We're con continuing where we left off. It is February 16th, 2020. We'll continue with the thought of the week and prayer. All right, this is the thought of the week, and I actually read it before, and it reminded me of Romans chapter 7, verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So here's the thought of the week. God does not leave us without hope. However, we must know whatever solution provided must not only benefit us in allowing us freedom from the state in which we find ourselves, it must meet the rigorous standards of God's uncompromising righteousness. His holy standards are the reason we are in this place of death to begin with. Solutions which satisfy us are not really solutions if they do not get to the root of the issue. If there are two warring parties and reconciliation is considered, both sides must consider the solution. Any solution in which both sides are not satisfied is no solution at all. In many cases, there is compromise. In the case between God and man, there is no compromise since God has perfect righteousness and justice. God did not leave us in such a helpless situation. There are motivations in God which account for his condemnation of the human race. There are also motivations there which would compel God to find a solution. The fact that our God was judged for the sins of the entire human race says that God is uncompromising. At the same time, it says God is seeking reconciliation. That reconciliation must be on, her, on his terms, or else man will remain in the state of condemnation and be judged for the rejection of God's gracious offer. John 3.18. Let me just offer my commentary on the thought of the week, going back to Romans chapter 7, verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The very next verse answers that question loudly and clearly. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let us all find our salvation in his solution, not trying to come up with our own. Remember, human religion is fighting for self-righteousness in a way of justifying ourselves, whether it's performing random acts of kindness or just trying to be a better person. <clears throat> that is not the criteria that God is looking for. He has made it quite clear in his word what is what would satisfy him and on what terms we can have reconciliation with him. He is not counting our sins against us for this reconciliation. He is only looking that we do not reject his gracious offer. And that is my commentary for the thought of the week. And I think somebody will have prayer for us. Uh, I think um, Bill or Dave? David, I have it. <clears throat> All right. Do anyone have any special requests for prayer? Okay. Yeah, this one, I would like to um, you know, pray for opportunity and, and the courage to take up that opportunity to be a witness to other people. 
in person or through my writing. All right. Right, let's take you to the throne of grace. Heavenly Father, we ask you, Lord, through your grace and mercy, I'll deliver over the wife to his to his ministry, Father, to let him teach the correct words, Father, so someone can actually understand some parts of what he's talking about and let the Holy Spirit do the actual physical work. Father, I ask you for special prayer for our church, Father, to our conference call, Father. We ask the Lord to look over my ex-wife as she had her procedure, Father. We ask you to look over my children as well as Bill's children, the wife's children, and the pastor's children, Father. We ask you to look over our families as well, Father. Protect us and guide us to all while we're here on this earth, Father. As we continue our growth through your, through your leadership, Father, we ask you to... Let us stay focused, Father, and so we can look at your work, Father, in all knowledge of truth, Father, as we can be ambassadors that you want us to be, Lord. We ask you, Father, ask for your grace, Father, to protect us, guide us, Father, in every in every way while we hear in the devil's work, Father. We ask you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave. I'll um I'd like to look at a couple things as we get started. Uh, first of all, we'll just give the thought from last week. Here it is. Uh, I feel it is an honor to focus on these passages before us. Our Lord shows us the way of true humility by allowing the person of the Father to present this new revelation to those who will have the awesome responsibility to herald this important information. Timing is everything, I heard someone say. Now is the time for us to fulfill the desires and dreams of our Father. Our Lord and the Holy Spirit are all in agreement with this plan of antiquity which precedes time. Great expectations are appropriate here and will not and we will not disappoint. The Father has it all in his scope. So Quote, live a life worthy of the calling you have received, unquote. That's in Ephesians 4.1. Let us take a deep breath. Exhale. And roll up our sleeves and go to work while we can, while we can on this earthly battlefield. We're still on this earthly battlefield. Are you ready to take your place in the battle? In your relationships with one another... Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used in his own to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. That comes from Philippians two five through seven. So this week. What we'd like to do is a review of the first 12 verses. So what we'll do is go back and look at some of the highlights of where we are, what we've covered, and just some of the thoughts that we have hammered out in these first few verses. 
So that's what I'd like to do if we could. Uh, if you open your Bibles and we just simply look at the text before us. John chapter 14. And, <coughs> excuse me. We can begin at verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. <clears throat> so the disciples were coming from a place where they are obviously upset. The Messiah leaving? We're ready for a revolution. What do you mean, leaving? Where are you going? Well, you're the Messiah. You're here now. So, according to our theology, we know what happens next. You conquer Jerusalem. You take over all of the religious services. And, and then we conquer the world. That's their, their understanding. But what do we get? And... Uh, the first verse. Christ urges them to believe in him in the same way they believe in God. He's getting ready to tell them things that their whole world will now be turned upside down. I know many people read John 14 and they're like, oh, it's such great words. I am the way to truth and life. Oh, some, some, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Listen. The theology of the disciples was turned upside down by Christ. If you didn't see that, then see it now. Because here it is. So what comes next, obviously, is on two fronts <clears throat> in verse 1. We're still looking at. And that is, one, knowledge. Right? The knowledge is what turns their world upside down because it's knowledge that they never had. Knowledge that was new. Hence, you believe in God, believe also in me. Right? You, you, you need to believe what I'm telling you is true because it's about different. It's going to be a different view from what your current position is. Now you have to put yourself in their shoes to really understand what's going on there. And then what comes next is that knowledge when Jesus begins to teach them and the wisdom that they're going to need to have as they think about what he said. And they watch it unfold before their very eyes and how to orient to the truth. So that's verse 1. Much more could be said obviously, but we're just doing a quick review. And that's the thought. Key for him to start out with, you believe in God, believe also in me. In other words, I'm getting ready to tell you some things that's going to rock your world. You need to pay attention. And you need to see me as God here, giving you this information. Verse 2, my, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you I am going there to prepare a place for you? So, number two, verse, is the description of the Father's house. 
the first thought is they would have they would have had the thought that the place for them is earth heaven all of a sudden now it's heaven right the disciples didn't have that in their theology now it's not that they never heard this before because Jesus certainly told them because he's he's making the point here in this verse uh, that if it were not so would I have told you right I'm telling you this remember I just told you believe in God believe also in me so it's part about many rooms and a special place for them in heaven all that it's all new information to them they didn't have that this is He's, getting, he's launching into not only uh, the, the mystery, but a declaration of the mystery in their minds. I like what he says in other words. For the record now, you do know this. <laughs> so Now, don't say I didn't tell you. Don't say you don't know. Don't say this anymore, because for the record, you now know that this is the case. Don't go back to that place of ignorance with me when we have gone over this many times. And plus that, if, if that were not so, would I have told you? This is really more that Jesus is challenged in presenting this information. And this is not the first time he's presented it. He's presented it and the disciples just summarily just dismissed it. He said, yep. Well, he doesn't know what he's talking about, obviously. Let's move on to verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. So what does verse 3 tell us? It tells us about the rapture. It says that not only am I going away, but you're coming with me. Not now, but later. I'm going to come back, and I'm going to get you. So Jesus is going away in death. He's ta he talked about his death many times. It's not a new thing. He says, I'm going to die, and on the third day I'm going to be raised, and I'm going to go to going to send, and then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to receive you, and then I will take you to be with me where I am. Yeah. You also may be where I am. There it is. That's an important verse. It's a promise to us. Christ is coming back. Just as sure as the sun rises and we're still living on the earth and all that, we can see all those things to be true. Right? I could say, oh, it's Sunday. It's February 16th, 2020. I'm still here. I'm right here today. This is reality. I'm not in a dream. I'm in church. And as sure as that's so, so is it true that Christ will be coming back. He will take us to be with him where he is. There is no doubt that that's true. In fact, that's more true than what we perceive through our senses. You know why? Because 
our senses can be manipulated. So we can't even, somebody might say it's Sunday, and really we thought, oh my gosh, how many times have you thought, oh, it's, it's not Sunday, it's Saturday, or it's Monday, or whatever. We, we're, we're confused in our own minds at times. Never mind that the, the factor that somebody could come in intentionally to deceive us of something. What can we depend on? Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. That is what we can truly depend on. Grass may wither. The flowers may fade. We may be confused. Someone may try to deceive us. But the word of our God stands forever. That's what we can know. I'm coming back. If I go, the reason I'm going there is to prepare a place for you. Therefore, logically speaking, I will come back and take you to be with me. That's the point. I'm going there to prepare. I'm not just going there. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And what is that place? When we think about it in the larger scope of things in which we have studied, and we're from the vantage point that we have from all the revelation that has been given to us, the place that is being prepared for us is the church. In this analogy, right? This is, I'm going to my father's house to prepare a place for you. Da, da, da. But really? What's going on now that we understand that that is a metaphor too is that God is calling out those many sons in the glory. Right? When will Christ be be finished preparing a place for us to keep with the metaphor it will be when the church age is complete when god has called the last person that was chosen from eternity past when that last person is born and receives the calling and accepts it that's when the church age will be complete and God will then send Christ with the voice of the archangel and a trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise and we who are alive will be caught up together to meet them in the air. So will we ever be with the Lord. There you will be with me where I am. That's the analogy. It's Christ's the carpenter up there building another wing on the fa and at the Father's house in heaven? No, that's not what's happening. It's not at all. He is building the church. We are the building material. So pulling that all together is... Uh, he is building, yes, the church, and we are the building. It is not brick and mortar. It is... Jews and Gentiles. So let's continue. That's verse 3, which talks about, I'm definitely coming back. I'm going to take you to be with me where I am. Verse 4. You know the way to the place where I am going. Verse 4. It's a challenge for the disciples to recall what they have been taught. They know this information. They have been taught this information. 
Now the challenge is for them to recall it. You know the place. <laughs> so the first thought is, when we hear it, but don't believe it, we will be challenged. That's what happens. We're going to get a challenge when we hear information, but we don't believe it. I'm hearing some background noise. Let's just call it out right now. Let's see if we can. Okay. All right, so we'll continue. So, so then that's um. This is we're in verse four. We said it was a challenge for the disciples to recall what they have been taught. Right. So this is what happens when you hear something different than what you what you have already believed in your heart. This is what happens. We hear it, but we don't believe it. That's just giving you the stark reality of it. We hear it, but we don't believe it. So we could say, we know it, but it doesn't mean it's part of our reality or we haven't integrated it into our experience. We know it, but it's just information. It's not really part of that which transforms us in in our thinking. It, it's not part of the building blocks of thought that we use to, to live our lives or for our reality. We hear it, but we don't believe it. So the challenge for us is to turn that, I heard it, it's in the Word, yeah, I, I definitely heard it, but I don't know about that information it's a challenge to us because it takes courage to believe things where we don't have familiar ground. We like everything to be, you know, according to what we think, not to rock our reality. Sometimes we need to have our reality challenged because we get comfortable in the things that we think we believe. We think we have it all wrapped up nice and neat. But then, since it's all so nice and neat, we ignore the fact that God can continue to add more to those details that we have. We can fight those details because we say, wait a minute, that's not the way I've learned it. That's not how it goes according to what I've learned. And, and we're, God says, and that's okay. Because I want to add. I may have to take away some of the things you have so I can replace them with greater, clearer understanding of what it really is. If you're not willing to do that, you're not willing to be led into all truth. You're, be, you're willing to be led into some truth, but not all truth. This is also where you get to the people who will believe what you're talking about or believe the truth as long as it doesn't contradict what they already know to be true. So therefore, they will be nodding, yes, that's true, that's true, but oh, wait a minute, what did you just say? 
Now that part right there, I'm not quite sure of, and I don't, I heard what you said. <laughs> I hear you. Now, if, if the humility comes in where they are hearing you and they are considering what you say, doesn't mean they believe it. They're considering it. They're, they want to draw you out so that they can understand how you think about it. Well, what are the scriptures? Now, what if you say, well, that's what my mother taught. That's what my father taught. That's not enough for the mind that has humility. The mind that has humility seeks to say, well, how, given the scriptures that we have before us, do you come to that conclusion? That's where humility is. So we hear them out. You say, oh, this is the scripture I use. And you say, oh, wait a minute. I think you just took that scripture out of context to come to that conclusion. And therefore, we at least heard how they, uh, what evidence they used to support the conclusion they came to. But we just, we just disagree with it. That's, that's where we want to be examining where people come from. Now, a lot of people say things and don't give you information. They're not willing to share with you how the underpinnings of the conclusions they made. Why did you come to that conclusion is the question. And the answer has to be, well, here's the scripture I used, or here's the thinking, here's the, several, here's the, the set of scriptures I used to come to that conclusion. And we have to look at that and say, well, is that, an, is that true? Is, did they use those scriptures accurately? Did they, you know, have an axe to grind? What is the reasoning of how they came to those conclusions? That's us. That's what we are doing as those who have humility. What if it comes from a place that we don't expect? A truth comes from a place we don't expect. You know what we could do? We could dismiss it altogether. We don't want to hear anything that comes from them. Because we don't like them, or whatever they stand for, so therefore nothing they say can be truth. Right? This is how we look at it. But really, the mind that has humility is open to hearing truth. I don't care if truth came from under a rock. We look under that rock for more. Because it came, truth came from there. If it was substantiated, if it was in context, if it was right there in the word, listen, probably somebody would listen to us and say, we are an unlikely place that truth would come. And they may dismiss us out of hand, don't even want to hear the reasoning for why we hold the truths we hold. So, one of the thoughts in this point number four, or verse four, I should say, is you know, Christ starts out, you know the place. I've told you this, where I'm going. This is not something you don't know. For Christ to say they knew, means they knew. However, they didn't believe it. So even the knowing is sketchy. We, don't, we only hold the knowing part you know, it's like somebody tells you something and you say, oh, yeah, yeah, I do. And now I, I do recall you telling me that. Yeah. But I don't believe. I remember you told me that. So we're moving on to verse number five. Thomas said to him, Lord, 
we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? So I would say Thomas asks a question they all wanted to ask, but he was the one brave enough to ask. And remember, Thomas didn't care what the others thought. He spoke his mind. He was like Peter. Remember, Thomas was the one who denied Christ's uh, resurrection. All the other disciples were there to tell Thomas, look, we saw the Lord. Trust us. <laughs> we're witnesses of this, Thomas. We, he was here. You weren't, but all of us are telling you that the Lord was there, was here. And, and Thomas says, nope, 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 nope. I will not believe. Now, just, this is important. Because, you know, when it comes to doubting Thomas, why do we have that example? Do we want to deride Thomas, tell him how ter terrible a believer he was, or how stupid he was, or dumb? Is that the reason why we have this verse? No. But look at this. The witness that Thomas, why do you think Christ showed himself to the disciples, but he didn't show himself to Thomas? could have, but he didn't. He waited for this one week later to happen. And all the disciples were together, and then he showed himself, and Thomas was there. Thomas asked, he spoke his mind, he, he jumped up, he asked this question, and he said, uh, no, no, no. We don't know the way. We don't know where you're going. And how, how, if, since we don't even know where you're going, how can we possibly know the way? Use Thomas. Even though the other disciples probably had that same thought, Thomas voiced it. It was insulting. Because Christ already said, you know the way to, to the place where I am going. You know. Thomas is going to turn around and say, let me contradict you. Hold on. No, we don't know the way. So how could we possibly know the way and how could we possibly know the place? That was insulting. That was a contradiction of what Jesus just said. So, uh, not only that, Okay, even if Thomas were set straight on that right there, they're going, first of all, we don't believe this whole thing. We don't know the place. We don't know the way. And so there's just a thousand questions we have. We're going to? You're going to get us? We're taking with this place? What do we, how? There's just, that just opens up many more questions. So many more questions. And look, listen, I'm just saying, if it was me, a lot of questions if Jesus were telling me that and I was standing in his shoes or sandals. So verse number six, we get to this next verse where Jesus answers Thomas. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So verse 6, the first thing I think about in verse 6 is, 
remember the context. Right. We just started talking about Jesus talking about, he says, I'm going away in, in chapter 13, and where I'm going to go, you can't come. Peter questions him, what do you mean? You can't come now, but you'll come later. And then he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. That's where we are. And then he be, begins to reveal church age information to the disciples. I mean, not that he hadn't already, but what he begins to reveal to them is information that, for the record, here it is. Now you know. Right? So this is where it is. So, and six, he, I would say, test yourself to see if you are in step with the context. This just goes back to us. This is where we, what we need to do is begin to test our own selves to see, are we keeping up with the context? And as we went through this in our context, we did take time to test ourselves. Making sure that, what do we mean Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, right? And let's talk about the destination, the Father's house. We, we talked about that analogy and how that all works. So do we remember the content? We orient this. The, the, the was this a salvation passage or was this a post-salvation passage for believers? So many people look at this as a salvation passage and I'm the way, the truth, and the life. <clears throat> However, if we do that, we are not following the context. So we need to confess that. And even if we liked how that all fit together and maybe we have given the gospel with saying that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, we need to pay attention to the scriptures. Because if we take a scripture and take it out of context and say what we wanted to say, fine and dandy. However, guess what we didn't do? We didn't do what God wanted us to do, is focus our attention on this, the mystery, the church, what he's doing, what's the next steps, right? The signs, the wonders, the miracles that he's getting ready to change directions. Are you attuned to that or not? I think this is a check for all of us. Can we follow the context? And even if we're not readily willing to say, well, wait a minute, but now that we see that that's the context, are we willing now to follow? It's a test of our humility. Verse 7, let's keep going. Further, right, this is, this is more. This is Jesus talking again. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. <laughs> I like that part. You do know him and have seen him. Yeah. So this <clears throat> on this one, here you have more teaching about the Father. They, they had teaching already, but now we have more direct teaching. From You do know him and you have seen him. Right? So here's, here's what happens. This is not, as we said, 
something new. And it's hard for us to teach it from the standpoint of the context, right, right here, when Jesus keeps reaching back to their previous knowledge. If he keeps reaching back to their, their previous knowledge, we should note that that is the context. It's a broader context than what's right here in these, in these verses. When he's talking about things like, you know, you know, you know, you know the place where I'm going. <clears throat> you know the Father. You have seen him. Right? This is, we have to broaden it. And the way we do that is to make sure that we include the constant teaching that Christ had with the disciples for those three years. Yeah. They had a relationship. So, one, what, one thing we do when we hear truth that we don't believe, we hear it from a, an, a, a source that is authority, uh, Christ was an authority over them. We just ignore the crazy, right? And we just say that's their opinion. We say, oh, well, when I say the crazy, meaning the things that they believe, we don't. Especially if it's an authority, we don't know where to place it. We won't say they're crazy. <clears throat> we'll just say, "Well, we'll ignore it because it doesn't fit our theology." So I don't, I don't know what to, where to put that. So I'm not going to place it in my heart, but I, I don't know where else to put it because it does come from an authority, a position of, of someone who I respect. So they said, well, it just may be their opinion. I don't know if I agree with it. But if it's truth, meaning you need to be paying attention to this truth, then it's critical. So it's like we do. You know, we, we take the good and we throw out the bad. You know, we sort of, okay, well, there's good and I'll take... And that's what they did with Jesus' teaching. They took the good of what, he, what they liked and they threw out the bat. Uh, this whole talk about the father, this whole thing about him going there, and all that that he's been telling us, him dying. He's the Messiah. He shouldn't die. Uh, we don't know what to do with that. We just throw it out. And there are examples of this, of how they did, right? Jesus, a good example is in Matthew 16, where Peter confessed, you are the Christ, son of the living God. Guess, guess who that glorifies? The Father. And Jesus said, the Father has revealed this to you, Peter. Flesh and blood has it. The Father has it. And that's the whole point. The Father was presenting Christ into the world so that people would come to understand who he was and believe in him. That is the point. And then Peter turns right around and says, I'm throwing out the rest of the story. Whole thing about you going to the cross, you going to Jerusalem, being beaten and spit upon and all of that. That's, no, I'm throwing that part out. I'm ignoring the crazy part that you're talking about. In fact, Peter had enough to go to Christ and say, listen, let me rebuke you. I don't know if the others would do it, I'm going to do it. He stood up for what he believed in. We could say Peter was courageous, but he was courageously wrong 
the Lord was telling him doctrine, truth, reality. And he said, no, that, that, that'll never happen to you. This is a glaring example right there in Scripture of how we believe the parts we like, and we throw out the parts we don't. And we don't retain those. They, we don't allow those into our heart because we don't believe them. We just don't believe them. So verse 8, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. So we have another burning question. This time it's Philip who asks the question. But more insult as well. That's another insulting question. Especially that last part where he says, and that will be enough for us. I mean, really? That oh, oh, you'll be satisfied? You mean just tell us now? Tell us now, Jesus, and then we won't ask you anymore. Just show us. And we won't ask. After he's been doing this all this time, he's been telling them, the context is that there should be some pushback on Jesus' part. It was the, if it was the first time, then yeah, I could see where Jesus' question, his comeback would have been a little, his answer would have been a little different. His answer deals with the frustration at the disciples and the confusion that the disciples had. So what does he do in the next three verses? He checks them. He throws it right back on them. And he puts it in a manner that they refused to believe. That's right. It goes back to the very same verse, right? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Here's what you need to do. You believe in God. Yeah. Believe also in me. And I'm getting ready to tell you something. Don't look at these verses as just poetry. <laughs> Things that you've learned and quoted at a funeral or something. These verses are reality for us in the church age. Here you have the founding members of the church age grappling with the very doctrines that we are to stand upon. Just like it says in Jude, earnestly contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Well, here's how it was once for all delivered to the saints. Contend for it, fight for it, hold on to it. Like Paul says, I have kept the faith. Right? Finish my course. This is supposed to be us now. We now are on stage, and this is us. So, they, but thank you, Philip, for asking the insulting question. Thank you, Lord, for allowing this to be in the Word, for us to be able to see not only how they managed and grappled with the truth, but also us. They're properly checked in the next three verses. And Jesus is adamant about it. Show us the Father. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me, this is verse 9, has seen the Father. So for you, when you ask, ask somebody a question, 
after they have asked you a question, then you are throwing it back on them. How can you say, show us the Father? Right? This, this is how it happens. Don't you know me, Philip, after I've been here? How can you say that? Well, remember, Thomas asked the question, Philip asked the question, and these are brave guys to ask this question. Let's get it out there. Let's just, dis this is Philip. Let's just dispense with all this stuff that you've been talking about with the Father. Show us the Father right now, and then that'll be enough for us. We'll be satisfied. We won't ask you anymore. Just show us right now. Not only was it a frustration on Jesus' part, it was obviously, obviously a frustration on the disciples' part as well. So it needed to come to a head. And here it is. And guess what? We have the record. <laughs> Thank God. We have it because we will grapple with these same things. The early church did. They struggled. They fought over the same things that we're talking about here. The new direction of God. And that's what Jesus is introducing to the disciples. If it caused such a stir and a resistance for the disciples, clearly it was going to be received in a tough way by those who were Jews in the church. But God had to do it. He did it. And he established it through miracles, signs, and wonders. So we know it's from him. There's no doubt and I'll use the words of Nicodemus because we know this is coming from God. No one can do the things that you do except God is with them. No one. This is not even human what you've done in terms of these signs, wonders, and miracles. It's outside of the realm of human capability, as I would say, in my words. Don't you know me, Philip? I... I so then in verse 10, he starts again. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. So another verse. In the next three verses, Jesus, really four verses, Nine starts out, don't you know me? Ten, don't you believe? Eleven, believe me when I say. Those, those three verses there, in answer to Philip's question, are really what we need. Oftentimes, when it comes to belief, it takes a while. I can just look at my own life. I don't have to turn to anybody else. I could say, God has to tell me more than once before I get it. I already know that. I'm maybe thick or something, but God is so patient with me. And I run off in the wrong direction, and I run a long way down the road, and God has been, I realize he's been tapping me all along. Hey, you're going the wrong way. Hey, you're going the wrong way. So finally, I stop and say, well, oh, I'm going the wrong way. What a revelation. 
I'm so slow. I, I just, it is just like Jesus said to those disciples on the road to Emmaus who were trying to put together the events and coming up with all the wrong conclusions. Christ said to them, how slow are you to believe all that the prophets have spoken? For some reason, you'd believe everything else, but when it comes to believing the truth, slow to believe it. You know what that says? We got a lot of unlearning to do. Part of learning the truth is unlearning. Other ways to say it would be renew your mind, be transformed into the image of Christ. Right? We have the mind of Christ, the deep things of God. All those things are challenges to us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 11, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least, when Jesus says at least, he's saying at the very minimum you should understand this. At least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. In other words, I don't know, but I do know this. What, what do I do? Let's break this down to the lowest common denominator here. I, 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 what I, here's, the, here's what we do know, right? This is when we're confronted with challenges. Let's go back to the roots, the basics. Here's what I do know. I do know that this man I'm following has performed miraculous signs, wonders, and miracles. No man can do those things. I do know that. And this man is telling me things and things that I don't know, things that I'm unsure of. Maybe I need to pay attention to God's leading in my life. Maybe I need to pay attention. At least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. I can understand where the disciples sat because I just told you I'm just as slow as they are, probably slower. I'm sure. Verse, 11, that was 11, 12. And here's where we are now. <clears throat> Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And this is where we are in our verse. This is what we studied last week. And we took time to understand what he meant by greater things, the work I have been doing. Well, we went through the whole thing. Miracles, signs, and wonders are not the subject here. But the miracles, miracle signs, and wonders testify to the subject. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that God is now calling out those many sons into glory. Yes, it went against what the disciples believed. They didn't have any idea about the mystery. God was able to suspend the prophecy time clock that Israel had and insert many things that were different than what they believed. <laughs> As Peter 
the sheet let down with all manner of unclean beasts on them, on it. And God said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Or the fact that God made the Apostle Paul, who was the a Pharisee of Pharisees. <laughs> what did he make him? The Apostle to the Gentiles. Don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. Yeah, this is the age in which we're living. The age of contradiction or contradistinction, however you want to put it. Because now God is able to define things on his own terms. Yeah, that tells me everything that went prior to this was to get to this, this point that we're in now. So we will conclude this thought and this review. Hopefully this has been helpful to us. Maybe we need to do this as we go and we get into these long chapters so that we can just recap and think about the thoughts. But you also have the notes. So those are the, the detail of what we've done. So on to the next verse next week, which is verse 13. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Wow, the confidence in that verse. And us who are vacillating and shifting and you know, opinionated and, you know, refusing to believe. And Jesus says, listen, I'm investing in you guys. And that's how it's going to work. I trust you. Wow, that's a tremendous responsibility for us to be trusted in this manner. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. We'll talk about that next week. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity, this time together this afternoon as we reviewed the verses in John chapter 14. We thank you for the thoughts. We recognize our shortcomings through these verses, and we pray that we will be challenged just like the disciples were, and that we will be proven worthy of your trust. It is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.